the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9 this morning, and uh, we're going to just carry on a little bit of a theme from last week in dealing with uh, uh, what we share with you on overcoming temptation and being men and women of God and pressing in the presence of God. And I just think it's vitally important right now uh, that with everything happening, there's just a real need for us really to, as you've heard me been talking about this and dealing with deception and all the things we've been addressing the last few weeks and the last couple months uh, in ministry, but uh, so many things are changing every day in our world, every day. And uh, now we have our, our glorious uh, governor who's mandating children K through 12 be vaccinated. And uh, so, which is showing that there is no science for, to prove uh, that children need to be vaccinated, and there is no study to show what the effects of the vaccination are upon the children, but there's just ways that they're exercising all this authority, and now people are having to rise up and decide what to do. Parents are deciding to decide what to do. Parents are talking, I'm hearing parents talking about going to homeschooling, doing all kinds of other things. We may start up another school, who knows? Amen. We'll do whatever we can to help out and, and work in those areas, homeschool charters, all kinds of different things. But there, we're, in, we're in a new day, and things are changing every day, and uh, people are being threatened with their jobs or employment, everything like that. And so it's not, the day of casual Christianity is over. That's what I tried to say about last week. I have to find out, and by spending time in the presence of God, it's that impartation that comes into our lives in our times in the presence of God that gives us that stability to stand. If you read 2 Corinthians, you find Paul talking about his life and things that he endured and being able to say that none of these things move me. And that's where we need to be as Christians today. We need to be in a place in our relationship and our walk with God when what's going on around us, circumstances and situations, do not move us. Whether it is sickness, whether it's disease, whether it's financial hardships, whether it's challenges, whether it's mandates, whether it's any of these things that are happening, we need to be at a place where we have a confidence in God that none of these things move us off of our faith in Him. Amen? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. I want to talk about the mountain and the valley. The difference between the mountain with God, but actually living in the valley. And uh, it'd be great to be the mountaintop Christian all the time. But I found out this, in, in what God is after in our life is not for us to be mountain or valley believers. He's after us to be consistent believers. James chapter 1 says, knowing this, that the trine of your faith works patience. Or it starts out saying, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Knowing this, that the trine of your faith works patience. The word in the Greek there for patience is consistency. God wants us to be at a place where in our love, our relationship, our knowledge with him is that, that we know how to be consistent. I don't have ups. I don't have downs. I'm just, I'm, I, know, I know this sounds weird, but you ought to just be a dial tone Christian. Mm, not, ah, you know, not, not that, but just, mm, just there, just consistent. Amen? And that, but without having all the freaks and the everything else going on. All right. Dial up. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 9. I don't know if that made sense, but it, that's what came out right there at that moment. Amen. Mark chapter 9, beginning verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you. You know, that's always a good, I don't know how you do Bible studies. I like things that catch my attention. 
and that. So a good Bible study is anytime Jesus says assuredly, it means pay attention. Assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, especially when he says it twice. Amen. And uh, so uh, listen to what he says. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. And so there he's prophesying about the, the coming of the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. Verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. How I many know oh, that's white? Come on. And so Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. How many Peter? No, Peter always had great ideas. <laughs> Amen. Verse 6, because he did not know what to say, for they were very afraid. Verse 7, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down, somebody say came down. So, so Jesus takes them up. They have this amazing experience in the presence of God. They see this glorious vision, Moses and Elijah. They hear the voice of God. I mean, no, that's an amazing encounter with God. Have an amazing time with God, but then they come down. Okay? So, verse 9, And they came down from the mountain, and he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had been raised from the, had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did, not, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Verse 14, And when he had come to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, Why are you dis what are you discussing with them? Then one of the multitudes answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son who is a mute. And when I brought my son, I brought you my son who is a mute. And whenever he, and, and whenever he seizes him. And, 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 and whenever he seizes him, he throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, he immediately, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell to the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Now, I want you to catch this here. 
couple times here, the Father is referring to He as the Spirit that is controlling Him. Doing all right? All right, just side note there. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can believe, what? All things are possible to him who believe. Immediately after, the, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people, he came running, saw the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit saying to what? Him, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. And he came out of him. He became as dead so that many said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him and he arose. And when the disciples came into the house, his disciples asked him when he had come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but fasting and prayer. Amen? All right, let's make our declaration. I forgot when I got started. I got right in there. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today that by your spirit, you'll cause your word to be quickened and made alive in us, imparting to us the life that it contains so that we can live and be the people you have called us to be in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, so I want you to look at your outline this morning. I want to say it to you again. You are a value to God. You are a value to God. God needs you. That's the plan of God, is that God would do everything that he does in the earth through his people. God is making himself known through his people. Praise the Lord. So he needs you, every one of us. Every one of us has a different assignment, a different responsibility, a different accountability before God. But God needs all of us to complete his purpose. Amen? So I I wanted to make this statement to you this morning. The mountaintop is not meant to teach us anything. Having mountaintop experiences is not meant to teach us anything. Here this morning, it is meant to make us something. It's so good. It's meant to make us something. The moments on the mountaintop are rare moments, and they are meant for something in God's purpose. They are times of impartation. Every one of us in our walk with God, we need time when we're in the presence of God, when we're not just learning something, but we're bringing ourselves into a relationship with Him where He can actually impart who He is into our lives. Are you doing all right? It's called transformation. And the true test of our spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. If we only have power to go up and to hang out with him in in a uh, non-confrontational environment and the desire to remain there with him, then something is wrong. If I just, as a Christian, if I just need to be in his presence and just always with him and, and I can't hang out in the drudges of the world where the demand is placed on my life, then something is wrong. Something's not happening when I'm there. There hasn't been an impartation or a transformation. You see, it's a wonderful thing to be on the mountain with God. But a person only gets there so that he may later go down and lift up the demon-possessed people in the valley. I love that statement from Oswald Chambers when he talked about this topic here. He says, hey, that the mountaintop is not just for us to hang up there. But, and we, need, we go up there, we have an experience with God. So look at Peter, James, and John. They're up there, and they have this great revelation. Then Jesus comes down. And what happens when they get down to the valley? What do they run into? A demon-possessed world. 
a world controlled and influenced by the devil. That's where we live. You and I live in that realm. And our experiences with God are those experiences that empower us to live victoriously and to declare His glory in that realm. God's looking to be glorified in this world through the lives of His people, that we go into His presence, we have this amazing experience with God, but then we come out of that and we walk and reveal His glory to the world around us. Amen. So good. See, we're made and equipped by God for the valley and the ordinary things of life. Think about that. You are made and equipped by God for the valley. Amen. You know, there's, there, there's a, I, don't, I don't mean this wrong. You take it any way you like. But there's things where people, they, there, there's a thing that started a while back where people just want to soak. It's called soaking. And you just want to put on soaking music. You just sit and soak. In the breath. That's good. But after you soak... You need to dry off and go do something for God. Because if you soak too long, you become a prune. You just like wrinkle up and, and it's not cute anymore. Amen. You need to dry, <laughs> move out and do something with that. Because if I'm just taking all that in, just taking all that in, just taking all that in, but never releasing and doing anything with it, then I'm missing the point. We're made and equipped by God for the valley and the ordinary things of life, and that is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. Think about that. We must guard our hearts against our spiritual selfishness that always wants repeated moments on the mountain with God. We need them, and we can have them. You can have them. But we don't just live for them. We live out from them. We're called to have these moments with God, but not to live for the moment, but to live out from that moment to have an impact for the glory of God in the world that we're equipped to live in. Or let me put it to you like this. This is what I think. I didn't put this in your outline. It's in my note. I believe church is to be the place where we collectively press into the presence of God to receive an impartation from Him through our worship and His Word so that we can go out into the valley. I believe every time we gather, this should be a mountaintop experience. It should be a time where we press into His presence. We don't just allow the band to sing to us. I don't just stand there. If that's your posture in worship, you're missing a great opportunity. If, if I haven't learned that coming together, that I'm here to worship God, whether I know the song, bless God, I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to express. I'm pressing in the presence of God. I have a moment to have a mountaintop experience with God because in a few moments, you're going to walk out this door, and you're not going to walk out this door onto the mountain. You're going to walk out this door into the valley of a demon-possessed world. Where there's challenges and, and, and obstacles in front of you every day. And you need something imparted into your life. But you don't just go there and just sit there and wait to be served. The presence of God is what you press into. You press into His presence. You hunger for His presence. You desire for His presence. And you seek to encounter God in His presence. Are you doing all right? So think about this morning. Look inside your outline. In our personal walk with God, we must learn how to go there so we can live here in the valley. All these years of pastoring, I run into people all the time, and they're discouraged about living in the valley. If you're discouraged in the valley, you need to go up for a few minutes to a mountain someplace spiritually. You need to take some time to ascend for an impartation. And if you're always discouraged, then my question is, have you ever been in His presence? Yeah. 
Because if I've been in his presence, there's an impartation that keeps me from being discouraged. Because I know in whom I have believed. Are you doing all right? It's only in the valley that we can live for the glory of God. You see, we see his glory on the mountain, but we never live for his glory there. Jesus, look, look at Peter goes, hey, let's build. Let's just live here. Let's stay here. This is glory. Dude, we just saw Moses. We just saw Elijah. Did you see that? That was so cool. Let's stay here. Jesus says, nope. You're going down, boys. We're going down. We're going down into the place, the only place where I can be glorified. Watch it. We see his glory on the mountain, but we don't live for his glory there. It is in the valley, in the place of humiliation, fear, and doubt that we find our true worth to God. This is where our faithfulness is revealed, both to God and to our own hearts. He's not just about... revealing God I love you sometimes I need to see myself I need to have my own heart revealed you see God wants us to live our lives for his glory at the everyday level in the valley according to our personal relationship with him Peter thought it would be a wonderful thing for them to remain on the mountain like we said but Jesus Christ would not allow him to remain there or even talk about what they had seen until after he had been glorified. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. So you follow along with the disciples. They, they never mentioned this account again. They, they obeyed what he said in that standpoint. They never talked about it again. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, Beginning in verse 15, Peter writing here to the saints, and he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I like doing this. And so, so many times, and, and I kind of, uh, I shared this with Pastor Dennis uh, in ministering up there for them uh, last week in that, uh, the time we were up there. But it, uh, that so many times, we, we always want a fresh word. We want a new word. We want something fresh. I always go back to this. What am I doing with the old word that I heard? Am I living it? If I'm just always want a new word, but I haven't made full application of the last word that I got. Is that in me? Is that producing you? Is it bringing forth the fruit that it contained? Okay. And so hanging on to that. And so Peter's saying this. Peter says, hey, I'm preaching to you this message again. The things I'm saying to you, I've preached to you before. The things I'm declaring to you, I've declared to you before. And he said that I'm doing it to remind you of what you've heard. That you don't let those things slip. Amen? So look at what he said. Verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power, com- the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So now Peter, watch it. Now Peter is allowed. Something was imparted to them. And that experience is something that's been carrying him now. And that should happen in our life. Our experience with God should stay with us and carry us through our walk here on this earth. Are you doing all right? 
They let us know that there's a glorification coming and that there's eternal hope There's a part of our life and all these great things are part of that. But we're here to walk it out right in the here and now. And so that's what Peter's saying. We held on to that, and that has carried us, and that's what we're bringing to you is what he has showed us on the mountain. So look with me if you would. So he took his disciples down from the mountain into the valley where the true meaning of the vision was explained experientially. So now they come down. You've had this time down here. Now here we're going to go down and walk out in the valley, and as soon as we get down, what happens? There's a demand placed upon us. People today are looking for answers. I don't know how I can say this. I've said it a lot before, but I believe that we have gotten away from recognizing demonic activity. We don't like to think about it as being real. Let me put it like demons are eternal spirits. Okay? The, the, those spirits, they don't die. They're eternal spirits. If there were demons in Jesus' day, there's demons today. If there were demon-possessed people then, there are demon-possessed people now. This is what I believe. Instead of dealing with demon possession, if you look most of the time when Jesus was dealing with things, he would cast out a spirit of infirmity. The woman who was bound for 18 years said, Satan has bound this woman for all this time. So it's demonic activity. But this is what we do with the amazing invention of medication. We can get you so anesthetized that the devil can't even drive you. Amen. I'm not going to make any friends, and that's not my strong point. We have children out of control. Children out of control. We were laughing last night because we're Ben's birthday. We're having dinner with Sean and Dana and Jamie and our daughters, sons and daughters and grandkids and stuff. But Jamie was talking about one of their neighbors, and that has their kids on a leash. I'm thinking, man, if you have to have your kids on a leash, that says something about your parenting skills. <laughs> you should say, come here, and they should come here. If they don't, then there's something wrong with your parenting skills. If your children don't obey you, there's something wrong with your skills, and you need some help. Not the kids, you. The kids don't need help, you need help. My pastor used to say this. Parents would come and say, my, 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 I can't control my kids. And Brother Hood would always go, are they bigger than you? <laughs> but we live in a world today where children are bigger than their parents. And they're running and doing everything. And we live in a society and a culture that tells us that children have a right to make decisions beyond their parents. All those things. Are being, our governor just signed a law that your children now, your minor children... Your daughters can go get an abortion using your health care without telling you. That's now been put into play. So children, it's a crazy world we live in. Are you doing all right? Crazy world we live in. But in those areas of things that we do. So when, when, when spirits of rebellion, when a spirit of rebellion begins to work in a child, we categorize it as a letter disorder. They have attention deficit disorder. Okay, or whatever. So what do we do? We put them on drugs. We have a drug for everything. Are you listening to me? 
So instead of praying, instead of taking authority, instead of walking in revelation and understanding, we use narcotics. You're doing all right. But that's where we live. But if God's people had the revelation, we would know how to pray over things and how to set children free. See, in those days, they didn't have Ritalin. They didn't have all the things to control the run around and, so, and to deal with all that. So they just had to pray, and they had to believe God for deliverance. Amen? So I, kn- I know this, none of this fits into culture, and I probably made several people mad. I apologize. Well, I take that back. So watch this. When we're on the mountaintop with God, we can believe for anything. When you're on the mountaintop with God, you can believe for anything. We get in those explanations, we believe for anything. In church, we get in church, we can believe for anything. We're in the presence of God, we can believe for anything. But what happens at 1230 when you hit the door? When things happen when you, on your way home, when you get home, whatever. Think about it. We're on the mountaintop of God, we can believe for anything. But what about when we're faced with the facts of life in the valley? The place where the voice of doubt can be as loud at times and louder than the voice of our praise. You know, we, we can lift our voice in here, great, sing loud, do everything. But sometimes you walk out, and the voice of doubt is shouting louder than your voice of praise. We're on the mountaintop with God. When we're on the mountaintop with God, we begin to see and believe that all the power in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. But when we come down and are challenged and tempted, to become, we can become skeptical simply because we're in the valley of humiliation and trial. How will we respond in the wilderness of the valley when the tempter comes? We talked about last week how the enemy comes, and he comes to tempt you to move you off the good goal that God has for your life. God's good goal for your life is always to do life his way, to approach and to see life his way. The devil always wants you to show a shortcut to your good goal. That's what we talked about last week. Amen? So now watch this. So we must know and be assured that we are made for the valley. I hope you can get this this morning. You were made for the valley. You're made for the hour that you are in. I started thinking about where we are right now, the hour that we are in, and, 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 and everything that's happening. Michael Turner was there yesterday with us, and last night, Natasha, and we are talking about that. And I'm looking at what's going on right now. The most interesting thing about what's happened in our world is the global impact of this virus. Michael said, this is what's happening in New Zealand right now. The prime minister in New Zealand says we are moving to a, 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 a vax economy. What, what that is, that unless you are vaccinated, you cannot engage in life. You can't work. You can't go out. You can't leave your home without being vaccinated. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds a lot like the mark of the beast. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying this is the mark of the beast. But I'm saying that globally... Globally, every nation, Michael was scheduled to be in 11 countries last year when COVID hit. He talked to pastors in all 11 countries. And in all those countries in in Europe and Eurasia where he was going to go in that area, the dialogue is exactly the same as it is here. The fear, the things you're talking about, how they're interacting, how they're responding to this virus, and everything else is exactly, it's a a singular voice globally. Are you listening to me? And it's conditioning people to respond, and this thing is being used globally by governments and nations that really aren't in alliance together. So there's something behind the the main scene of this. Are you listening to me? 
behind this. And if we don't think about it, here's what happens to us as the church. We think in our little world. We're little world-minded. My little world. Jesus is trying to give you his eternal worldview. God is, God is doing an eternal purpose. Are you doing all right? And so when I look at that and I'm seeing God, then I have to understand. And so I need that mountaintop experience where I have clarity in my thinking. Because in a mountaintop experience, God can get me out of my little world and my little concern and my little needs and my little desires. How can I say that? Jesus said this to the disciples. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church is ecclesia in the Greek. Ecclesia means called out from. To be a part of the church, you have to be called out from. Called out from your life, called out from your desires, called out from your plan, brought into his kingdom, and baptized into his life as a member of his body. Believing that everything I'm called out from and everything I let go of, we talked about this with the men last Monday night, everything we're called out from and everything I let go of, everything I'm willing to die to, I can get back in resurrection. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, no man's forsaking anything that it will not be given back to him in this life. But it's not given back until I forsake, until I die to it. We're, we keep trying to hold on to it without dying to it. Let me put you like this. Any place, thing that you won't die to, he can't be God to. If you won't die to it, if you won't release it, he can't be God there. He's God through resurrection in your life. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes after me and decides to be, and, and doesn't forsake and love less, his mother's brothers, his wife, his family, his children, everything, everything that we refuse to let go of, people keep trying to be God to their family. You're not called to be God to your family. And as long as you want to be God to your family and the Savior of your family and the Savior of your situation, the Savior of all these areas, He can't be that. You're in, you're in His way. You're doing it your way. You're working it out your way. You're wanting to bring it past your way. But Jesus said, no man has forsaken lands, houses, family, brothers, sisters, anything else in this life that it shall not be returned to him a hundredfold in this time. But if you can't release it, if you can't be called out from it and to him, you doing okay? I know this is really not popular. If you can't be called to him to make him that. Listen to what Jesus said like that. If he is not Lord of everything, he is not Lord of all. Well, Lord, you can be Lord in this area. That, that's really cool. That's not hard to let go of. I give you that part. Let me put you like this. If you go to a funeral and the person in the casket isn't completely dead, it's not a funeral. He's taking a nap in a box. Christianity is a resurrection. It's not a half-dead corpse. It's not a half-dead life. It's, it's not a I'm trying to die life. 
I'm trying to let that go. You don't try to die. You just die. Are you doing all right? And if I do that, then I believe that he can be raised up. But watch it. Those things that I don't die to, I can go up on the mountain and have an experience with God. But as soon as I come back down, I want to take back over the things that I haven't died to. And I don't walk in the revelation that he's given me. And I get distracted and pulled into all that stuff. I don't know about you. I'm going to listen to this again myself. This is really good. Now just ask, maybe you've been dealt with things and a lot of things. Ask yourself, how long have I been going around this mountain? How long have I been trying to get this out? How long have I been asking God to fix it? And every time I ask him to fix it, I ask him to fix it the way I want him to fix it. You are the church. You are, I will build my church. Jesus said to, to the men, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now listen, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Revealed this to you. And upon this rock, upon the revelation of who I am, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. I will call out people out of this world, out of their life, out of their desire, out of their plan, out of their purpose. And I will call them to be my body in the earth. And I will fill them with my spirit. And I will anoint them with my power. And I will endue them with my gift so that I can accomplish my will in the earth through them. And if they will say yes to me, then I will see that they have the desires of their heart. God blesses us when we live for him. Are you doing okay? So watch this. Well, that went in a way different direction than I thought this morning. So watch this. I'm saying we must know and be assured we are made for the valley. Called to reveal his glory in the ordinary things of life. You and I are called to reveal the glory of God in the ordinary days of life. This is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. We must guard our heart because we don't like the valley and our spiritual selfishness seems to always want to repeated moments on the mountain with him. We're like Peter. We want to stay and build just as he did. Get this this morning, this next statement. The purpose of times in his presence is to impart into our lives the substance. We talked about it last week. The substance that only comes from him to equip and empower us to bring the revelation of who he is to those in the valley. You see, our heart and his desire, hear me, our heart and his desire is for us to be reconciled to God. To be with him always. To be caught up in his glory. To worship at his footstool. To be transformed by his glory in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Into the image and the likeness of the Son. But then to live with the same purpose as Jesus did in the valley. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I put it there in your outline. Everything is from God. Who reconciled what? Us to himself through Christ and gives us the ministry of what? 
Reconciliation. That is, watch it, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So the, the King James actually said that God was in Christ, that God, the Father, his life, the fullness of his life manifest in his son and was in the earth to reconcile the world to himself. That's the heart of God that has never changed. God is doing one thing in the earth. He is reconciling the world to himself. And I have, I have desired, if I have plans, if I have purposes that are not connected to the reconciliation of this world to God, then I am a self-motivated person. <sighs> Hallelujah. So watch this. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed the messages of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And I said this a couple weeks ago. We should see there's a world perishing around us. There's a world that is just transforming day by day around us. And, and if this thing is coming to a culmination, that, that means we are closer to ever than the judgment of God coming upon this earth. And we ought to be more driven with the ministry of reconciliation to see that no one perishes. Amen? Than ever before. Something ought to move. In America, the church is caught up. I keep thinking about this. I think about, this, and I said it, Pastor Tim brought it up, and we said it last week. Think about the Christians who are not willing to leave. We got people who don't want to live in California because it's costing them too much money. There are Christians who don't want to leave Afghanistan knowing it'll cost them their life, not their money. It costs them their very life to stay. And they say, I have such a revelation of who God is in me and who Jesus really is. I've been in the bondage of his Islamic terrorism. I've been in the bondage of, of an oppressive religion. And I understand what that is. And I know what it means to be set free. And that revelation of the freedom that I have from the bondage that I was in is so transforming in my life that I can't leave because there are other people right here where I live. How can I go someplace else and leave other people trapped in that bondage when God has delivered me and given me the ministry to bring the word of deliverance in the valley? In California, we're just getting out. I'm out of here. This is too much. It cost me 50 extra bucks this week. I know I'm not making any friends right now. If your God isn't big enough to sustain you where you live, trade him in. If your God doesn't know where you live, does not know what you're facing, and is not big enough to sustain you, I would get a new God. Remember, by regeneration, the Son of God in His life is formed in our physical life. He now has the same setting in us that He had on earth. To do the same thing through our lives that he did through his life here on earth. And that is to seek and to save the lost in the valley. The valley of our world is changing drastically every day. 
Justin, you come back to the keyboard, please, my friend. There seems to be a new challenge coming to our faith and to those around us living in the valley of life. You know, I'm surprised. It's amazing how many people have got religious now that their job's on the line. And they want a religious exemption. And I'm fine. We've written it. We've provided it and everything else. My neighbor contacted us. I've witnessed him, one of my neighbors. And so had some, they work in the medical field. And his girlfriend, had, some people where she works had tried. And they'd used one. Sixteen of them had used one provided by another church. And uh, it was rejected. And then there was two other people there that had used one. And Justin, and it was accepted. They said, well, where's that from? They said, well, that's from, from Solid Rock. And Justin goes, that's my neighbor's church. So he texted us too. Hey, can I get one of those? So we took, him, took some. Yeah. But, it's, <laughs> but see, now that it's on the line, listen to what I'm saying. It's on, but, but now people are looking for help. They're open to an answer. You have the answer. If you're not overwhelmed by the valley. Those who have truly been to the mountain with God. Don't have to run away from the valley experience. They know they're in the valley for a reason. You're in the valley with the answer. I've been with the answer. And I've come from his presence. With the answer for the need in the valley. Are you doing okay? So think about this. Our mountain times with God prepare us to be about our Father's business. Our heart is to be transformed, to beat like His, and is to be given to the ministry of reconciliation. It is truly our only task. I was praying a few weeks ago, and I felt the Spirit of God say this to me. If you don't have a Savior, you need a cause. If you're not living for a Savior, you need a cause to identify with. Look at all the causes in our culture today. And even in the church, we've become a, a society of causes. People come to us, well, I'm about this, I'm about that. Can you support this? Are you getting bored with that? And, that? and very little of it has to do with reconciliation. Humanitarian, social issues, all good. We do that. We have a Lord's gym to be a blessing into our community, provide a need for the youth of our county. So we, we do that stuff. But if our heart isn't connected to reconciliation, to seeking and saving the lost, God only cares about one thing, that no soul goes to hell. The heart of God is that no soul goes to hell. That no soul goes to hell. He's not wanting that anyone would perish. God did not create humanity to be separated from Him for eternity in hell. That's His heart. And the more I spend time in His presence, the more He imparts His substance into my life. It transforms me where that is the only thing that I see as job one. That's our task. So I said it again. The mountaintop is not meant to teach us something. It's meant to make us something. Something. 
The moments on the mountain are those rare moments, and they're meant for something in God's purpose. So he can reveal through our lives his glory to those around us in the valley of life. See, it is on the mountain where we get to know God so we can work for him out of the revealed knowledge of who he is. Being delivered and set free from our own ideas and temperament of character. It is the place where he is transformed before us so we can be transformed into his likeness and divinely equipped in the valley. It is a place of impartation for the purpose of transformation so we can live for his glorification through our lives John 17 I close with this Jesus' last prayer his high priestly prayer Jesus spoke these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come glorify your son so that your son may glorify you that should be our prayer I'm a child of God. Father, be glorified through my life. Father, I want to live so my life brings glory and honor to you. God, do whatever you need to do in me for me to bring glory to you. Think about this. Jesus spent excessive amounts of time in prayer. He would pray all night because God became flesh. And flesh has desire. Flesh has a voice. Flesh has an appetite. Flesh wants to pull you in its own direction. And Jesus had to do the same thing. He had to keep himself in that place of prayer. When he prayed later in the garden, he had to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Are you doing all right? You and I, that's where we fight. And in those mountaintop times, that's what we're after. God, I'm here. Let me go away that you might be glorified. Let me pass away. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. This is not American Christianity. This is the real stuff, guys. And this is the hour that we live in. And this is what, let me just put it like this. This is what you will need to survive. You need this kind of faith, this reality in your life, if you're going to survive this valley season that our world is in. Not our nation. Get out of America. This is a global situation. In Australia right now, they are arresting people. And in jailing them for being unvaccinated in public. Absolutely. Michael said in New Zealand, they're going house to house. And they're going to be a full vax, as I said earlier, a full vax economy. In other nations in Europe, the same thing is going on. Well, that'll never happen in America. Tomorrow in New York, 140,000 healthcare workers' jobs are on the line. Tomorrow, Monday morning. If they're not vaccinated, they no longer have a job. Teachers, healthcare workers, all kinds of different areas are right now in different states under all kinds. In, Amer- in America, the land of the free and the home of the God's Christian nation, the favored nation in God's eyes. Not so, but are you doing okay? You need real Christianity. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as you gave him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. 
and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Every one of us should live to make this declaration over our life, this last statement. I have glorified you on the earth, not on the mountain. I glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let me put it to you like this. You were created out of the glory of God. God's creation, God made us out of His glory. We're going to be rejoined with Him. And so if I'm living for that glorified moment when this mortality puts on immortality, when this corruption puts on incorruption, then I want to live in such a way that I've spent time with Him there so I can glorify Him here. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to speak to you prophetically here just on this level. I do not believe I'm the only pastor preaching this way right now. I believe God is stirring up other men of God in this hour to declare this message of calling God's people back to true faith. To walk out in this hour to be His body in the earth and for reconciliation to the world around us. And I believe you're going to see a move of God. And I said it last week in the area of the altar beginning with the church. I always thought it's interesting. And and I believe that God revives and brings that. But if you define the word revival, it means to be brought back to life. So every time we say, I want a revival... I'm saying I'm dying. I need, you revive something. CPR is to revive. Paramedic comes on the scene. They, they, they revive something that is about to expire. And so when we cry out for revival, we're actually confessing that we're on the verge of expiration. And we need to be brought back to life. And usually when the paramedics get on the scene, what they bring is they bring out the paddles. And they charge them puppies up. And they jolt you back to life. But we don't want to be defibrillated back to life by the Holy Ghost. We want him to put two tabs of butter on there and let our heart just melt it ooey gooey all over it. <laughs> we want a warm ooey gooey revival. God says, no, it comes like this. <laughs> <laughs> And if we don't wake up, they go, turn it up. (laughs) Hit them again. Amen. But let me say this. You're going to find God's going to be moving to you to press into his presence and to come back to a place called the altar, not just in church, but in your life. The purpose is of the altar was never meant to be 
where you come to have somebody pray for you. Let me just bring clarity. The Bible says if anybody is sick, let them call for the elders and let them come and they will anoint them with oil and they will pray pray, pray the prayer of faith over them and they will be healed. God will raise them up. Doing all right? We don't even do that. We just want somebody to call us. And if they're not calling us and they don't care about me, when was the last time you called and asked for prayer? Instead of waiting to be called and somebody give you a word for God to prove that he really knows who you are. God, could you really prove your... Oh, my goodness. The altar, we do that. We pray one... Don't misunderstand when I say that. We pray one for another. We lay hands on the sick. We do all that area. The altar is the place where Paul says, I beseech you, you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is placed upon an altar. And it's a place where you come and you say, God, I don't want anything in my life that's separating from me, that's hindering me. God, I want that impartation that you have for my life. It's not about being, having sin in my life or doing these things. It's not about that. God, I, I'm, I'm here to offer up and to lay on this altar to allow you by the fire of your Holy Spirit. I'm going to preach this soon on the baptism of fire that the Holy Spirit come with baptism to burn up the chaff. It's a place where I say, God, I want the chaff out of my life. I want to come away with the pure wheat of your life, the grain of your life in me. I want to live in the fullness of relationship with you. I want to be able to leave these times that I spend in your presence to walk through the valley of my daily life that what you've imparted into my life I can release out to others in the demon possessed valley. And when Jesus said these kind only go out by fasting and prayer. And so if I, if I don't, but I believe there's coming a time where people are no longer going to be afraid of the altar. They're just going to press in. Bow your heads with me this morning. We're going to be more hungry for God than we are for anything else. We're going to lay things down. Justin, I'm going to ask you to just sing that again. That song is so apropos, nothing else. This song is just so amazing. Ever since I've heard it, I keep it in my playlist. I listen to it over and over. Because it just says, I'm caught up in your presence. And I just want to sit here at your feet. Talked about having no other desire. Talked about not coming with agendas. Talked about not just wanting to sing another song. Says, God, I just want you. And I'm willing to remove everything out of my life, whatever it costs me just to have you. Jesus spoke the parable of the pearl of great price. The man who was going and found saw the field and he found the pearl but they went and the field and the pearl were worth everything else Jesus is the field and he's the pearl and he's worth everything else to lay that down so this morning I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and as Justin begins to lead this song this is what it says. It, 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 part of it says, I just, I'm not coming just to sing another song. It's not about singing a song. It's about pressing into His presence. If you're hungry for that impartation from God, for the presence of God, if you desire to walk through the valley and have God's presence, 
flow through you to touch those around you. For him to release his reconciliation through your life. If you're ready to be called out from your desires, to be the called out ones. Can Jesus call you out? What's holding on to your life? What's dry? Can he call you out of everything just to come to him and follow him? If you're hungry for that today, let's take a few moments. Maybe you would find a place at this altar today. Maybe you would make this place an altar.